0: Or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
1: And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible study. This is the Virtual Bible study for Thursday, June fourteenth, two thousand and twelve. We welcome you into not tonight's study. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwyn,
2: is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, thanks. Great to be with you on Thursday night for the virtual Bible Good study. to be with
1: you as well. And we're going to take a pause right here at the beginning of the program because we almost forgot it last week. We're going to talk about the, some special uh, meetings that we're going to have next week.
2: we got something big coming up for us in the, in the middle Tennessee area. We hope that those of you who are listening within a driving distance, Columbia, Tennessee, will join us on Monday and Tuesday night of next week. We're going to have what we refer to as Bible studies in the park. We started this last year uh, in imitation of some folks uh, up in Michigan that we have helped before do a similar thing. Uh, they've had great success. We thought we had a very successful effort last year, meeting in the park in a in a public pavilion, and discussing Bible subjects. Mm-hmm. And so we we're going to try it again this year, and it's going to be Monday and Tuesday night at seven o'clock in here in Columbia at Woodland Park. Now, this is a different park than we used last year, so if you're listening and you knew where we were last year, be advised it's a different park. It's Woodland Park. That's closer to downtown, uh, but if you get on Google Maps or any of the Internet sources, you ought to be able to find Woodland Park. If you have any problem with that, you can call us or send us an email. We'll send you a map directly, but... uh, we're going to talk, with Scott Smelzer is going to be here. We're going to talk about themes related to families and child rearing.
1: Yes. We had
2: Scott on the program, Jacob, uh, a few months ago. We had him on uh,
1: on February 23rd, 2012. Yeah. So, so if you're deciding, wanting to decide whether or not to come, maybe listen to that program.
2: We were we got him on that program because some of our members, including you, I think, Jacob, had right. heard some, some taped sermons that he had preached on that theme. Mm-hmm. We wanted to cover the idea of child rearing on the virtual Bible study. We invited him. He Skyped in. We thought he did a great job. Right. So we've invited him to come and, and bring the lessons next Monday and Tuesday night. Again, that's Monday and Tuesday night right here in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're anywhere close, I think it'll be well worth your drive. We call it We call it Bible Studies in the Park. This is going to be a real informal event. There's a natural amphitheater at Woodland Park. We're going to be there. And we're telling people, bring your Bibles and bring your lawn chairs. Bring your own lawn chairs. We'll sit out on the grass and have a Bible study. All
1: right. And that is uh, June 18th and 19th. And what time?
2: 7 o'clock each night. Where is it? Woodland Park, Columbia, Tennessee. And if I want more information? Call us. Uh, You can call the virtual Bible study number 877-381-4567. Or you could
1: email questions at collegeview.com. Those are the ways you can participate in the program tonight as well. And the third way, but it won't help you get to the park next week, but it will help you tonight, is the chat room to the right of your video window. If you're logged in and watching the program live tonight, uh, be sure to join in the chat room with other listeners. And I'm excited about the topic uh, planned for tonight because, uh, well, we, we sort of didn't know what to talk about. You, you asked me last night, what are we going to talk about? I didn't have any real good ideas. I thought of some more this morning, but before I could give you my ideas, you came up with these really great ideas, but yeah, they're not did. your ideas. No, they're
2: not my ideas. You borrowed I, them. Not original. Uh, these come from listeners. We do this periodically. We We save up questions. If we get a question that we think we could devote a whole program to, we do that. But very typically, we save up these listener questions and try to, Deal with them several at a time on one of these programs. That's sort of a uh, virtual Bible study smorgasbord. And these
1: are some really good questions, and I'm looking forward to them. Uh, one listener wants to know about maybe some passages in the Bible that aren't, maybe shouldn't be included. That's yeah. going to be a good discussion. Uh, one, I, somebody, I hadn't heard about this story. Somebody, uh, some uh, preacher was suing former church members.
2: Yeah, we're going to talk about
1: churches, members suing each other. Uh, What about vain repetitions in prayer? And uh, if the church of, this is an interesting one, if the church of Christ is the church that Jesus died for, why are we so divided? Where's the unity?
2: Yeah, and this listener especially has reference maybe to some segregation, racial segregation.
1: Oh, that's, uh, we'll we'll okay. look
2: into that a little more thoroughly. All right.
1: And then we have an interesting question or series of questions from Sharon. Does the church have authority for church secretaries, youth ministers, elders assigned specific individual duties, or should all be involved equally? And women involved in the decision making for the church. So we'll look forward to that. And I think my answers might surprise
2: Sharon. Okay. Let's go with these. Let's start in. Let's okay. just jump in. The first okay. one comes from a listener named Andy. Yes. Who says he just recently stumbled upon our program. Yes. Uh, and he was fascinated by the progr- the programs we had last two weeks about the snake handling. Oh, of course, okay. that was based on the the snake handlers based their practice on Mark 16 verses 9 through 20, specifically verses 17 uh, and following. Okay. Uh, do we know where Andy's from? I do not. Okay. Well, glad that you're listening, Andy. Uh, and so he said, "I I kept waiting to hear someone bring up the fact that the evidence seems to support that Mark sixteen nine through twenty is a later scribal edition, and the original text of Mark did not contain these verses. Mm. Building a mountain of theology on a probable scribal edition is very troubling. Okay, in other words, he's saying they they're building their snake. I think he's saying they're building their snake handling tradition on a text that some say." May or may not belong in the text. A lot of people, some, a, a, a number of experts say it, it shouldn't be there. That it was probably added later. Was not in the original Gospel of Mark. So Andy says it could come back to bite them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Play on words there, but yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, so what? That's the question we want to deal with now. For us. We don't believe that the text teaches that we should be practicing snake handling today. I'm not going to go into that because we spent two weeks, two, weeks, two yeah, recent yeah. weeks. If you have any questions about the snake yeah, handling part them. of that, yeah. uh, you can go back to the last two uh, archives right. and cover that. But, but we like that section of Mark 16 because it also very plainly teaches the necessity of baptism for the remission of sins. Mark 16:16. 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So if you're going to throw out parts, you're going to throw that out, too. Yeah, you're going to throw out the snake hand, and you're going to throw out verse 16, which is a very good verse teaching the necessity of baptism. But, what are you going to do?
1: But our, our, our belief in baptism doesn't hinge on that one verse. I mean, if you, if, 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 it, if the evidence showed that that verse didn't need to be in there, it wouldn't change anything about what we believe on baptism because there are so many other verses that teach it. But objectively, what do the what does the evidence say about uh, this verse? Should it be in our, in our, our Bibles, or is it an addition, uh, a, a fraud? Someone's trying to slide something in that doesn't
2: belong. Real quickly from email, Anthony says there's strong evidence on both sides of the question. I'm, I'm also a little bit skeptical of the phrase mountain of theology. Is that a reference to the necessity of water baptism by immersion? or remission? Of sin? In other words, he's saying is the questioner wanting to throw out verse 16. Is that why he's saying this is a questionable text? Probably not. I think the questioner was probably referring to the snake handling part. But either way, he said, if so, we don't need Mark sixteen nine through 20. This biblical truth, that is, immersion for the remission of sins, can easily be, st- be distilled from other texts. I right. think he's exactly right.
1: right. And you've got some other uh, information. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I actually preached on this question last Sunday you evening, did. and you I did. came up with some, some uh, charts. And Jeff is running our you know, board. We tonight.
1: could podcast that sermon. Why don't we do that?
2: We, probably, uh, we don't have video on it. We don't need video.
1: We need the audio. Okay, we'll, audio. we'll put what, the audio. We'll, we'll
2: podcast that. If we'll you have, if you we'll re- podcast this audio as our weekly sermon podcast that right. we do every week. After the program night, you'll put it up That's if right. somebody wants to listen. And to
1: it. if you're not signed up for the podcast, go to collegeview.com, and there you can find out information on how to subscribe to the sermon podcast. We podcast one sermon a week, and so if you'd like to sign up for that, we encourage you to do so.
2: Anyway, Jeff is running the board. Jeff has got some charts from that sermon I did last week. I'm going to walk through them real, real quick. I, I t- just to sort of give a taste of this controversy, my conclusion is I think they belong there. Okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not married to it. I mean, I, I think I, I'm like Anthony. I think I can prove anything I need to prove going to other places. I don't have to have those verses right. to prove essential facts of the gospel. But I do think they belong there. Th- th- those verses, Mark 16, 9 through 20, began to be questioned... Starting with about the American Standard Version in the early 1900s, I think 1906 was the first American hey, Jeff, Standard Jeff, you version. can
1: make that full screen, people can see it better.
2: So. Um, but the uh, uh, in the American Standard Version, also in the New American Standard Version and several others, there's a footnote. My American Standard Version says the two oldest manuscripts and some other authorities omit verse 9 to the end. So why, did it, why, does, why is that footnote there? Now, they got the verses, but they footnote them that maybe they don't belong there. Right. Well, the reason is that the, the American Standard Version and several others, including the New American Standard Version after it, used a different Greek text. The King James Version was translated from what's called the Textus Receptus or the Received Text. Right. This was formulated in 1535. They took all the manuscript evidence, best manuscript evidence they had available at the time, and they put it all together and they compiled a thorough Greek text of the whole New Testament. And they translated the King James from that. It obviously included Mark 16, 9 through 20. But in the early 1800s, two additional manuscripts were discovered or came to light, at least, came came to be recognized or identified. They're called the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus. They were good manuscripts, nearly complete manuscripts of the whole New Testament. They date from the 4th century A.D., so they're very old. Right. Now... Uh, those two manuscripts omit the verses, Right. Mark 16, 9 through 20. So uh, those manuscripts were used as the primary text for the compilation of a new Greek summary text by two scholars named Westcott and Hort, and they, and they put together a Greek text. and It is referred to by their name, Westcott and Hort, and that was the Greek text for the American Standard, the New American Standard, and others, mm-hmm. And they and they claimed that because it was missing in those two ancient manuscripts that they felt, and a lot of a lot of textual critics believe that the end of Mark was added. some copyist was copying along, he got to the end of Mark and he didn't like the way it ended. Yeah. he thought he could help out a little by adding some verses. Oh, well, he, well, he wasn't well, an inspired man, but he thought that the text needed a little help, and he added those final verses of right, Mark right and of course, it's been a debate ever since okay. uh, as to whether they belong there or not.
1: But I mean, ever since they ever found since
2: these, t- these, these
1: two manuscripts. manuscripts, not since this guy did it, because you don't necessarily think that he did add that
2: in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, real quickly, best arguments in favor of including these verses. And, man, whole volumes, whole books have been written about this, Jacob. But okay. first, it's contained in all the oldest and best, best manuscripts except those two. It's included in all the ancient translations. Obviously, they've been translating into various languages from the original Greek for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, English wasn't the first language, obviously, that they translated into from the Greek. It's included in all ancient translations. Those verses are included in all ancient translations. And it's quoted. Iranius, for instance, dating from 17202 A.D., quoted from this part of the of Mark. He quoted from this section of Mark. That was before
1: these manuscripts were written. Yeah,
2: supposedly. So,
1: it didn't obviously originate with these manuscripts
2: because it was around before. Yeah, how would Irenaeus know to quote from it? Right. Uh, So, the best arguments against including these verses uh, are that these two very complete fourth century manuscripts omit it, and and that section is not referenced by a lot of other early well-known church writers, including Clement, and Jerome, and others. Now, I think that's probably a pretty weak argument. So what? They didn't quote from it. They didn't quote from other places in the New Testament, too. So, you know, but there are arguments on both sides, all right? Now, here's, here's my analysis real quick. Second chart, yeah? Uh, if these, the first, if these verses are there because someone took it upon themselves to improve the ending of Mark, how could this single act of altering the text have resulted in inclusions in so many other manuscripts and versions? Right. If this was just one guy, one place, doing one thing, how is it that it became so pervasive? Yeah, they didn't have email. Yeah, yeah. It's not like some kind of, th-
1: it went viral. He wrote this and it just went viral and everybody no, had it. Yeah. How
2: did it get into how all? How did it
1: propagate itself?
2: Yeah, yeah. Number two, could it be that the two 4th century manuscripts that omit the verse were both copied at the same time and place? There are many similarities, and many, even fans of those two manuscripts, believe that they probably were copied at about the same time and in the same place. And that's explained why they are identical in the matter. They were copied from a text that omitted Mark 16, 9 through 20. In other words, their source document may have been faulty, mm-hmm. and they were both copied from the same faulty source document. Maybe that source document was a copy that had the last words of Mark accidentally torn or worn off of the text? Right. Maybe. Maybe. Don't know. Maybe. Third, is it not possible that the later texts, the later manuscripts that come from the 5th, 6th, 8th, 10th century, so on, were themselves copied from much older manuscripts that we no longer have available? In other words, you got a, you got an 8th century manuscript. Where would that come from? It had to be copied from something. They didn't right. have printing presses or copy machines. It had to be copied from something. Isn't there a possibility that that? 5th or 6th or 8th century manuscript that we still have a copy of was itself copied from something that came from the 1st or 2nd century. Uh Maybe so. We don't know. But it's possible. Uh, And finally, the last chart, number four, Jeff. In reading Mark 16, it's difficult to believe that the narrative would end at verse 8. No one has seen the risen Christ. Three women have seen an empty tomb and an angel has pronounced the resurrection, but no one is an actual witness to the resurrection at verse 8. Yeah. Mark would end his account without a clear identification of eyewitnesses to the resurrection, which to me seems Isn't, unlikely. Yeah. Why would he stop? Why wouldn't he identify who saw Jesus when he was resurrected? Right. right. Uh, so it seems, verse 8 seems like it would be a weird place for Mark to stop. It seems like it should go on. Yes. It seems logical. Just, just arguing from logic. And then finally, God is competent to reveal and preserve his inspired word. He promised to do that. First Peter 1, beginning verse 24, All flesh is his grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falls away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. God promised he's going to preserve his word. I think he has. And so those are my arguments. Those would be the arguments that I would pose to say, yeah, I think it belongs there. I think it's likely that it belongs there. Again... Take it away, and I don't think we have lost crucial information. I, I think it's valuable, but I, I think we can still prove all the same things without it if we don't have it. So I don't think our salvation is hinging on those several verses. But I do think that I think the weight of the evidence is in favor of including that. Quickly, uh, Pat in Alabama has uh, apparently
1: debated this uh, this subject before, and he sends uh, a summary for us. It was quoted by uh, this passage that is in question. It was quoted by such men as Irenaeus and Hi- uh, Hippo. Hippo- Hippolytus. There you go. Two of the three, two or three to three centuries before these older, oldest manuscripts were written. So these, uh,
2: these he, he says. An, he, I mentioned Irenaeus. I yes, didn't have yes. this other mm-hmm. Hippolytus. Yeah. Hippolytus. Okay. I didn't have him. But he mentions that there's another old manuscript, uh, uh, perhaps as old as the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, that called the Washington manuscript that does include Mark 16. So he says there's another manuscript that's equally as old as those two known to be as old as those two, and it does include the the question. And there
1: were at least ten translations done before these oldest manuscripts were written, all of which contained the passage in question. So these translations were obviously working on something previous to these older older translations that did have it in there. And And he suggests a whole column of spaces left blank in the Vatican manuscript as if the copyist had intended, but for some reason had omitted, to fill it in
2: with text. And then he mentioned something interesting. That Vatican text ends at Hebrews 9 verse 14 well there's three four, four more chapters yeah. of Hebrews does does do the people who reject Mark 16, 9 through twenty, want to reject the last four chapters of Hebrews? I don't have any, I haven't heard anybody arguing that because that manuscript omits that. Yeah. So good argument from good arguments from uh, Pat.
1: All right. Well, that's a good uh, discussion. We need to stop it there. Uh, by the way, have you ever talked with or heard the arguments presented why the King James Version is the only translation you should
2: use? Well, there are people who believe. that. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I listened to a series of lessons on that, and and one of the main arguments was because these other trans these other manuscripts were found. The Cyanaticus found in Egypt, and nothing ever good comes out of Egypt. So that obviously is not valid. So you have to use the, you have to use the. Yeah, the, I, I,
2: we, didn't we, didn't we talk about King James only one time on the virtual Bible study? We might have. Yeah, I think I think we we've at least touched on. It. I don't think we've had a whole program on it, but there are those who believe you got to use the King James version. I just I, don't, I think they're wrong. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we get back, we'll take your comments eight seven seven three
1: eight one four five six seven, and a lot of lurkers in the chat room tonight. Sign in there; it's very easy to do.
2: Okay, and when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about what do you think about churches, churches, and church members suing one another. Okay, we'll talk about that.
1: Don't go any if you if you if you leave during this break, we're going to sue you. We'll see your pants off. So don't don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study?
0: Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial.
2: Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So... Why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Here's some quotes worth pondering. Attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? Hardships are temporary. They may last a minute or an hour or a day or a year, but eventually they end. If, however, you give up to the hardships, they will last forever. Great works are performed not by strength but by perseverance. Make it a habit to tell people thank you, to express your appreciation sincerely and without the expectation of anything in return. Truly appreciate those around you, and you'll soon find more and more people around you. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email.
0: The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away,
1: guys. And we're back on the program tonight, and we are thankful that you're here. And we look forward to your comments. We'll thank you ahead of time for participating because your comments will make our program better. As we talk about various listener questions, the topics tonight have been posed by our listeners. And you can do the same if you ever have a question you'd like discussed in this format. Give us a call or send us an email anytime with your suggestion. We'd love to hear from you. And we have a question from Mohan. Once I think to, Mohan's
2: in Chicago, isn't he? I think that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, he, he wants us to talk about a link that he sent us. We put it in our email today to our update list. By the way, always you can get on that update list if you're not by sending us a simple statement. Uh, or, uh, send us an uh, email to questions at uh, Put me on the list. We'll do it. We send out our update, what we're going to be talking about, usually about noon on Thursdays. You'll get that email. And when, when, uh, when you get that, you'll know what we'll be talking about that night, and you can begin to respond to us. But right. anyway, Mohan sent in a link. We put it in that email today about the Beaver, the pastor of the Beaverton, Oregon, Grace Bible Church suing former members for negative reviews about their church. He said, what do you think about that? Could you comment? Let me just give you a little bit of this news story, yeah, Jake. Yeah,
1: yeah. Give us a rundown on that.
2: From Beaverton, Oregon, Dateline, Beaverton, Oregon. Uh, who's got this? I forget who put this up. Anyway, uh, it says, a church pastor is suing a mother and daughter for $500,000 because they gave the church bad reviews online. (laughs) The family being sued left the church a few years ago, and Julianne Smith says that she and her family were shunned and couldn't understand why. So she went online and wrote Google and DEX reviews of the church and then started a blog. I thought, I'm just going to post a review, Smith said. We do it with restaurants and hotels and whatnot. And I thought, why not do it with this church? Okay. Okay. When the family left the church, Smith says, friends were told to end all contact with her. If I went to Costco or any place in town, if I ran into somebody, they would turn their heads and walk the other way. She said, all we did was ask questions. We just raised concerns. There's no sin in that. Dissatisfied, she went online to write reviews. Other church members counteracted them with church praise. So Smith started a blog called Beaverton Grace Bible Church Survivors. Uh, but the pastor claims in the lawsuit that he filed her words were creepy, cult. let <laughs> uh, see. He filed that her words included creepy, cult, control tactics, and spiritual abuse. And he said that's defamation. And so he sued. Mm. What about that? What do you think about churches suing one another? Or church members and churches engaged in lawsuits of that nature what do you think
1: let us know your thoughts eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven is toll free the line is open for your thoughts on this subject do you think we ought to be soon other? first off i'm gonna i'm gonna have a problem with this uh... julianne smith for the way she approached the subject i think that's wrong matthew eighteen verses fifteen uh, through seventeen Tell us the way we should handle that. So if they were doing creepy spiritual abuse, whatever they were doing that she claims, there was a way to handle it, and she didn't handle it correctly,
2: number one. Okay. Uh, Anthony an email says, seems rather nonsensical to me. It sounds like the church was attempting to properly exercise biblical discipline. Of course, we don't know the details, but I fail to see the wisdom of the church suing the folks. I'm not sure what they're hoping to accomplish, except even more bad press than they had from the disgruntled members. I think he's probably just from a practical standpoint, I think he's right about that. But I'm
1: not sure that they were uh, properly exercising biblical discipline, because biblical discipline doesn't tell me when I see somebody to turn my head and walk the other way. Uh, if they're if they're unfaithful, yeah, that may
2: be a misunderstanding of how to administer church
1: discipline. They may have been trying to administer it, maybe doing it a little bit incorrectly there, yeah. but it's, yeah, no, okay, nonetheless.
2: Uh, I mean, and like like Anthony said, we don't know the details of what went on when that family left the church right. and whether the church should have disciplined them right. or not. We just don't know. But I think Anthony's right. From a purely practical standpoint, they're not accomplishing anything good except getting more bad. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the Scriptures talk about us taking one another to court. Apparently, the church at the church in Corinth, they were doing that sort of thing. And in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning verse 1, Paul says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that how much more things that pertain to this life? If ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. It is so is it so that there's not a wise man among you? Know not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers? Uh, Now he says, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take the wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that's your brethren. And so uh, Paul was rebuking the church at Corinth for apparently engaging civil authorities in church-related matters I think you have to factor that into this question as well.
1: Yeah, I, I would see that as condemnation for doing what they're doing.
2: Yeah, so I, I think the church is out of line. I mean, if let's, let's take the position that they were absolutely right, that this family was, was sinfully immoral and should have been disciplined by the local congregation. Whatever negative feedback they get could be considered to be a form of persecution. Right for them doing what they should have done, right. suffer it, take it. Yeah, You know, you don't have to lash back and try to get a half-a-million-dollar lawsuit rolling uh, yeah. for that. I'd say the church is out-of-line them. I, I'm not defending that woman for, for publicizing her grievances right. online, but I'm saying I think the church is out-of-line So
1: what you're saying is maybe if there was a drunk in the congregation and you preached against it, the drunk got mad and posted a blog and said that they're being mean to me because they're, they're saying I shouldn't be a drunk, you would say, of course, that's what I said. Yeah, you wouldn't sue the drunk to say be quiet, don't tell people I did that. You'd say, yeah, that's what I did.
2: Yeah, I did, I did, I did condemn his drunkenness. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I think that's what the church there in Beaverton, Oregon, should have done. Uh, but I mean, uh, that I think that's the right answer to the question. I think they're out of line to do that.
1: All right, well, that that, that answers that one. Mohan, I appreciate you suggesting that uh, that question. We uh, that was an interesting. Uh, Article uh, uh, news story. There, we were glad that uh, you brought that to our attention. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. dot uh, Well, we, people
2: are really quiet in the chat room. You know, I just we
1: realized can't... I wasn't even signed in the chat room, so I signed in. It, it took me about uh, five seconds there. If you're not signed in, sign in. And uh, guest eight eighty eight and Anthony and uh, Jeff would enjoy having you there. Guest
2: eight eighty eight backing up. He he comments on the fact that he knew a, a man. Who claimed that we should be u- not should not use the King James version, but the Rotherham edition, because it uses actual Hebrew and Greek words for God? Mm-hmm. Of course, he's saying he he was saying we shouldn't use man-made Bibles, but he was being hypocritical. Um, I, I, yeah, the King James version is a man-made version. The Rotherham edition is is a man-made translation. Uh, none of them are perfect. There are some that are a lot better than others, uh, and that's a worthy discussion. We've had discussions uh, along those lines on the virtual Bible study before, but I don't think that there's any uh, divine mandate as to what version we can or must use. So, I, Well, what about this idea that you've got to... Jeff, Jeff mentions in the chat room that King James has some history behind it as well. I think you're right, Jeff. It's got issues, too.
1: What about the idea that you've got to call God by the hebrew name which people don't really necessarily know how to pronounce uh how, do, how
2: I, I i'm not i'm really not knowledgeable on that question i know it's out there but I, i've just never really come to grips with the significance okay. of that okay so may, that might be worth discussing at some point Maybe we should uh,
1: investigate that and have a discussion we could probably very easily find someone who would uh tell us why they think that yeah. you have to call uh god by that and jesus by his uh by his Greek name
2: yeah Right. Let's, let's catch the, the bullet point break, and then we'll come back. And our next question has to do with vain repetitions in prayer. All right. We'll talk
1: about that on the other
2: side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back
0: right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this.
2: This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We frequently hear complaints about the church. That's nothing new. In fact, there were some folks complaining about the church in its very earliest days. Read Acts 6, the first few verses. And we know that some criticism is fully justified and is offered in a constructive way that will, hopefully, bring about needed changes. However, we feel that there's a troubling trend evidenced by the kind of criticism that is most often leveled against local congregations. Seldom, if ever, do we hear folks say things like, I'm disturbed that this church is not more active in the realm of evangelism, or it really upsets me that we're not supporting more preachers, and we never hear people say, I just think we ought to have more gospel meetings. What we do here is things like this. I just don't think this is a friendly church. And there are just not enough social activities, especially for the young folks. Or people here really don't seem to care about each other. Two observations need to be made. First, the church is not a social institution. While it is important for people to have social interaction, God placed all such responsibilities in the realm of the home and not the church. Read 1 Corinthians 11, verse 34. If your main concern is about social things, you need to come to a better understanding of the work and function of the Lord's church. Second, those who level these charges should spend some time looking in the mirror. If there are problems, if there are areas that need improvement, what are you doing to bring about those changes? Complaints about the church are not new. Oftentimes they're needed and helpful. But if you complain, be sure you're willing to lend a hand to make the needed improvements. Let's work together to make the church everything God would have it to be. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kolelka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week
1: is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study.
0: A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys.
1: Welcome back to the program tonight. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and if you have any questions or comments, about the college U church of christ contact us anytime we'd love to hear from you we're talking about listener supplied questions on the program tonight so far we have two that have been very interesting three more interesting ones uh to go the next one is from ramona
2: yeah and ramona asked this question let me give you a little more detail what she asked here could you do a program on vain reputation vain repetition for matthew 6 verse 7 in prayer how should one pray? How may we be guilty of public spectacle in public prayer, as in Luke eighteen ten through fourteen? Then she asked about interfaith prayers for political reasons. Question mark mm. Is repetition in private prayers bad? Do we think before we pray? Do we say repetitious words and phrases just because they sound good, such as guide, guard, and direct us? Yeah,
1: that's a little bit repetitious in and of itself. What about that? So okay, thus first. Yeah, that's a. I, yeah, I, she had a lot of good topics there. I was when I just heard this you know, program on vain repetition. of it. well, that'd be sort of hard to do a program on. But There's a lot of good topics. There. Well,
2: well, of course, her question is based upon a statement that Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six. Uh, he was condemning the hypocritical Pharisees and the scribes and Pharisees, the hypocrites of the religious leaders of the Jews, and he said, "When thou prayest," verse five. Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say to you that they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Right. So there's the expression, vain repetitions. I, I, I think my first observation here would be that he's talking about vain repetition he's not talking about all repetitions okay he's talking about vain repetitions uh you know which mean worthless good for nothing uh, uh, having no value um jesus uh prayed the same thing over and over again in matthew chapter 26 when he was in the garden praying before his arrest Remember, he took Peter, James, and John with him. Went a little further, left the other disciples behind. Went a little further. Then he left those three. Went a little further and prayed. He came back, kept finding them asleep. Remember, but verse 44, Matthew 26, Jesus left them and went away again and prayed the same. Prayed the third time, saying the same words. Oh, there's repetition. Yeah, but but it wasn't. It, wasn't, it wasn't vain repetition. So I think a key there is the word vain repetition. Why why were the hypocrites of Matthew six. Why was their reputation vain? Because it was to be seen of men. They were making great flowery speeches, and they wanted. And he says, they stand on the in the synagogues and in the corners of the street that they may be seen of men. Right. So that's what was wrong with their prayers. That's what Jesus was condemning in that context. He's not condemning the idea that you might say something over again, say the same words over again. Jesus did that. Yeah. It's the motive. Behind
1: it. So you could say the same prayer every day, as long as you meant what you said. Exactly. And it wasn't just, just words. Exactly. Yep. All right, let's go to the phone, and we'll welcome Andrew to the Virtual Bible Study. Andrew, welcome to the program. Oh, no, oh, well, we lost Andrew. Uh, Andrew, if you would, call back. We'd love to uh, uh, talk to you. Uh, we lost Andrew there, so it's hard to hear about that.
2: Okay, we'll try to get him. Yeah. Well, he'll have to call us back, I guess. Yeah, so. yeah, Andrew. If, we'll if we'll you're call listening, us. Andrew, call back. Uh, uh, We got an email from Anthony on this. He says, The emphasis in this passage seems to be on the need for our prayers to be genuine and heartfelt and that the power of prayer is not in the choice of words but in the attitude behind them. We know also that prayers can be made amiss, James 4, verse 3. The composition of public prayer is a matter of judgment, but I definitely think we can fall into the condemnation of Matthew 6, 7. Mindlessly repeating phrases could be vain repetition if there's no real thought behind it and if you give the idea that you're just regurgitating a form prayer. We should be careful at the same time because we can't judge the hearts of others. It seems to me that Catholics are in clear violation of this principle with their rosaries and Hail Marys and so forth. I am not sure how they defend this, but I assume they do. All right.
1: All right think... Good comments, Anthony. Yeah. And Andrew's back on the line. Andrew, welcome to the virtual Bible study. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling.
2: Hey, a real quick comment
1: on uh, Bible translation. Yes. Uh, you know, you made a comment about you know pretty much not having an issue with uh, translations. but I'm not taking issue with that but there are differences between literal translations as it relates to free translation.
2: Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, the, the translators have different translating teams have different philosophies as they approach the original text. Uh, uh, I'm sure that's what you're talking about.
0: Yes, yes. Like NIV is uh, a thought for thought and translate. It's a good one, but it's more of trying to eliminate... Uh,
1: rigidity
2: of Yeah, they, they take the, in those kind of translations, uh, what do they call dynamic that? Dynamic equivalents. Di- that's it, yes. dynamic equivalents. Uh, yeah. In other words, they're trying to get an English phrase that they believe mm-hmm. is the equivalent of what that Greek phrase meant. And so there's yeah. a lot of, there's some judgment involved in that, right? There
0: is, that's why I use the ESV.
2: Yeah, that's a Which, newer one that, okay. that a number of brethren are using that seems to be fairly reliable.
0: It's, it's, it's
1: an updated uh, kind of like A- NASB, but it still has the wooden tendency of, of the, the difficulty of some of the transliteration and, and translations, but it's worth it for the sake of, of, of you know, having some consistency in, in translation.
2: So. Yeah, I agree. I appreciate you bringing that to our attention, Andrew, and I, I'm with you. I think that we we want to shy away from at least using uh, versions – as our primary study Bible, that have that approach, like the NIV and a number of others, this so-called dynamic equivalence, where the translators are, don't feel obligated to put the exact words there; they just they just yeah. trying to get the gist of it. And then there's some that are even looser than that, like the Living Bible, which is is a, is an out-and-out out paraphrase. In other it's words, not a Bible. it's not even it's not even a translation. No, right? It wasn't even translated from the Greek. A guy was reading the English Bible, and then. Putting into his own words what he thought each verse meant. Came
0: out in the seventies, didn't it? Yeah, the Green Bible. Yeah,
2: yeah. so yeah. Okay. so you are exactly right, and we appreciate your uh, input on that. And um, we have an old we have an old program in our archives where we discussed Bible translations, some of the good ones and some of the bad ones. Mm-hmm. And and our listeners might like to look into the archives on that. But it's it's a really worthy subject for sure.
1: Yeah, a- Andrew, where are you calling us from tonight? Oh, Columbia. Oh, good. Not from Columbia. Glad that you glad that you joined us, and we appreciate you making that clarification. That was a, that was a needed clarification. So we we thank appreciate you for doing that. All right. Thank you again for joining us. All right. Sure. All right. Uh, thank you, Andrew, and uh, we'll look forward to you calling as well. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. And uh, I was looking up for that uh, the translation. I remember that uh, that program. Uh, I think uh, Jim Walls joined you for that one, March eighteenth, two thousand and ten, Bible translation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. Look that up in the archives, uh, and, and I think Jim, Jim, Jim has done, done quite. Some, yeah. a, he's done quite a bit of work on that, so he was pretty knowledgeable uh, guest on that program. Okay. So. All right,
1: uh, I the eight eighty eight wanted to know that passage you referenced where Jesus said, prayed the same prayer over Mark fourteen thirty nine. I think Anthony supplied maybe in uh, Matthew Matthew twenty
2: six forty four says that he Matthew twenty six forty four. He left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words.
1: All right, I'm interested in some of the other questions that Ramona uh, mentioned there about interfaith prayers. What about
2: uh, what about that? Uh, I'm not sure what that is. Do you know what she might have? Well, it's like to? where
1: we would get the Methodist and the Presbyterian and the Christian church and the Catholic church, We'd all get, and Jewish and maybe even the Muslims would get together and we'd pray for some type of thing. It was prominent after uh, 9-11 where we saw interfaith
2: prayers where yeah. different
1: leaders would come together and pray. I think
2: there's more of a problem there than just vain repetition. I believe there you've got the issue of, are these people do, do, do these people have Is a prayer, prayer privilege right. because of that? In other words, I don't believe a Muslim has the right to pray to God. I don't think he has a relationship with God that allows him to pray. Right. And, and lots of other religions, too, by the way, the right. Muslims, the Jews, and a lot of people who call themselves Christians I don't think really are. Right. And so... Uh, yeah, I would have an issue with that for sure. Okay,
1: she had some other questions there. You can she
2: with. says, uh, uh, Is repetition in private prayers bad? Not necessarily. Okay, Jesus, right. we, we, Jesus, there's a case of right. private, his private prayers were right. uh, repetition. Uh, do we think before we pray? I think that's the key. What's your attitude? Are you using your head? Do you know what you're ta- saying? Yeah. What about repetitious words and phrases just because they sound good, such so as guide, guard, and direct us? Yeah. Uh, I think and, and there's some judgment involved in that, but I. Personally, I think that's an expression that you hear in public prayer. Men will use that in a public prayer a lot. Right, towards and, the end, usually. Yeah, and, and and that that may be because they're nervous and don't know what to say. Right. Uh, they've heard that expression used. Uh, another one that you almost always hear before the preacher gets up to preach, that he might have a ready recollection right. of the things that he's prepared to say. Yeah, You've- Yeah. Uh, we would never say that in in normal conversation. We wouldn't right. say guide, guard, and direct this. We wouldn't say ready recollection right. in normal conversation. So why are we using it in prayer? We can probably do better now. I'm just saying probably can. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm just I, saying I'm not judging. I wouldn't judge someone
1: and say, oh, they said that uh, ready recollection. They don't know what they're. They're just they're just repeating that. They don't mean it. No, they they could very well mean that. Yeah. Uh, so we have to be careful about judging. Uh, but if, if we're if we're saying it and we don't we don't really mean it, then we need to we need to check that. Okay. And uh, I like when they pray for the sick of, con- of the congregation.
2: Pray for all those who are sick of this congregation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and I, sometimes uh, I say, should I raise my hand? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, they're praying for you. You're going to get over that. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Well, should uh, we go to t- take a break? And well,
2: well, let's let's real quick catch uh, Lenora's question. She said, if the church of Christ is the church that Jesus died for, why are we so divided? I live in a small town. We still have blacks worshiping separately from whites. Yes, we may be speaking the same things, but what about being separate? And then she references Psalm 31.1, behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then she mentions the prayer of Jesus, John 17:20 20 through 21, where he prayed for unity for his followers. She says, where's the unity? How can the world truly know we are the chosen one if we are separated? Is, is there going to be a heaven for every ethnic group? What are your thoughts? Well, we did a program on racism on the Virtual Bible Study, and I got the date here, September 20th in 07. Racism is a sin. It is. And we shouldn't have any part to do with that. We shouldn't be segregated because of color or other types of ethnicity. I don't think there's any any place for that. Right. And and I'm very thankful that it's not nearly as prevalent as it once was. Right. I think we've made good progress in regards to that. So if, if there are those who are... Staying segregated for, for racial or ethnic reasons, get over it, we shouldn't be doing that. I think the Word of God would condemn that. I think passages, if you want a passage, I go to James chapter 2, where it talks about showing respect of persons right. and says it's a sin. Right. So look at the first verses of James 2 on that. But I, I agree with uh, Lenora's question primarily is about segregation uh, from race or ethnicity and I don't think there's any place for that. We should be united. Yes, I agree with that. And uh, so that again, Lenora, if you're listening and you want a, a more thorough uh, analysis of that racism question, go to the Virtual Bible Study Archives and look for the program on September 20th, 2007.
1: Well, guest 888 says, a "Ready recollection." What does that mean? And Anthony gave him a definition. And uh, guest 888 says, "Never heard that before." and blames it on us being Southerners.
2: I don't think that's a Southern thing. I've heard that up North too, So, I, but maybe it might be. Yeah. All right, okay. let's, let's take our last break. then we got a longer question from Sharon uh, talking about um, uh, several things, church secretaries, youth ministers, women in business meetings, and so forth.
1: All right, and I'm going to sign up right now and say that the church can have youth ministers.
2: Okay. All right. There you go. We'll talk about that on the
1: other side. Don't go anywhere. we're going to get Jeff's thoughts on it, too, just behind the board tonight. Jeff will uh, get us to the break, and then we'll be back right after this.
0: Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this.
1: Hi, I'm Wade Shelton.
0: In 1 Peter 3.15, the Scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks it. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here
2: every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. Every year, the pornography industry creates 11,000 new movies. That's compared to just 400 mainstream videos created by Hollywood. Many of those videos are available online for the public, including children, to access. That news comes via the American Family Association Journal. The Word of God says in Job 31, verse 1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid?
0: For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues.
1: We want to give the program tonight. If you're just joining us, we're talking about various listener questions. And we've got one more to go, and it's multifaceted from Sharon. Yeah, talking Sharon, about authority for certain things in the church.
2: Sharon asked this question. Does the church have Bible authority for the following? Number one, church secretaries. The defense I've heard is there's no difference in paying someone in the church for printing and assembling less material, bulletins, and so forth, than paying for having material printed and buying it from a bookstore or other source. Another defense, what's the difference in paying someone who needs help to be the secretary and giving him or her aid from the treasury? In other words, give them a job. Okay. All right. Then she asked youth ministers. Number two, and then number three, elders ass- assign specific individual duties like financial or visiting the sick, or should every elder be involved equally? And then finally, women involved in the decision making for the church. Uh, I know of some preachers who teach that it isn't scriptural to have business meetings where only the men are present and the women must, and that women must be included in business meetings. All right, let's take those one at a time. Church secretaries, what do you think? Church secretaries.
1: I think that the same, um, the same. Uh, reasoning and uh, argumentation that would be could be used to uh, support paying someone to mow the lawn or paying someone to clean the building or paying someone to paint the building the same reasoning that could be used could be used for that of a church secretary not i'm not arguing judgment or uh, stewardship
2: i'm just arguing uh... right or wrong i think you're exactly right i would make the same argument because we know churches who do pay to have their grass mown. a lot of churches do as we do here we get the various men and we sign up for it and right. they assign and make up a schedule and volunteers do it save some money and that just is money that can be used for other purposes but uh, you know we, we let's say that we don't have men who can do it or equipment available to get the job done and we deem that it's a better judgment to pay someone to mow the grass or pay someone to clean the building yeah. or put a roof on the building yeah so if there's work if there's legitimate work that needs to be done And it's not wrong to pay to have work done that needs to be done. And so I would say that on that basis you could have a church secretary. Now, I think that a lot of people are more skeptical or have bigger problems. I've heard some people who just really get bent out of shape on the concept of a a church secretary, particularly if the church secretary is a woman and the preacher is obviously a man and the the preacher and the secretary at the church building there during the day by themselves together is it a – does it look good is right. it, is, there, is there maybe the risk of you know some some something inappropriate happening well, the, I would factor those judgments right. in I would factor those things into the judgment, but I think it's a judgment i don't think right. you can say per se blanket wrong right uh what do we got here uh anthony says uh secretaries off the top of my head it seems like the type of work a deacon should be doing i think i think that's probably the case uh anthony that there are people in the church who can do some of these jobs if the preacher's too busy but i gotta tell you something i've never known an overworked preacher uh, i mean i know preachers that i think work hard and try to do their best but any time that i have ever heard a preacher complain about being too busy i always was doubtful of that you know uh, how how much typing is there that he right. just well with,
1: with computers that you're not yeah. overwhelmed with secretary and, 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 and how much, work. How
2: right? much publishing work yeah. is there? Papers that need to be assembled and so forth that you actually need a full time somebody else to do that. I, I'm a little leery of preachers who, who complain about being overworked. And, and personally, i I've, I've never had a secretary, never wanted one, and I've never felt like I needed one. Never felt overworked in regards to those kind of things that a secretary might do. So you,
1: you just look in the uh, in the business world today, the 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 prevalence of secretaries is so much greatly diminished with the advent of the computer, and they're just not needed as much anymore. Yeah, yeah.
2: I right. don't know that it ever was needed in churches. I mean, right, if you had right. a, if you had a huge big congregation and there were uh, you know lots of secretarial kind of things going on, it might be different, but that's not real typical. Okay, all right now. What about youth ministers? Sharon
1: wants to know about youth ministers. Guest 888 says Timothy was young. But what is interesting, I never heard really heard a conservative church use minister, but liberals use it quite liberally. Therefore, if someone uh, of a church uses the word, I'm quick to find out if they are liberal, and they usually are. I don't know why that is. Uh, what about a, a youth minister? I would say there is no problem whatsoever with a youth minister, uh, given that he is uh, ministering in the work.
2: Well, uh, here's what uh, Anthony says by email. He said, if they're preaching the word, I think we can have them and pay them as we would pay any evangelist. If they're just a babysitter, game coordinator, chauffeur, or the church on the church dole, then absolutely I would question the legitimacy. I think extreme caution should be exercised when considering whether there's a legitimate need for a youth minister. I think my, my answer would be right in line with Anthony's there. What is a youth minister? Now, is he just a young man preaching? Maybe a young man who's preaching under the tutelage of the elders and an older preacher who might give some guidance. Is he devoting special attention to teaching young the, the young people of the church? I wouldn't have a problem with any of that. Yeah. But if he's a social coordinator and a recreation uh, uh, organizer, that's, which a lot of youth ministers just so-called are, leaders. then right. I'm against it completely. Right.
1: Right, that, and if they are going to preach, they're going to, it's going to be some kind of watered-down garbage that uh, that really is a waste of time.
2: Yeah, but uh, uh, what do you got? Jeff, you put something in Jeff, here. Yeah, Jeff, we need to get to Jeff. Jeff's behind the board tonight. Jeff, what are your thoughts?
1: I was talking about Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission. Um, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all Whosoever, all things whatsoever I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. Amen. I would say, you know, we can use those people to do those jobs because we're still carrying out that.
2: That's right. If they're if they're engaged in that kind of teaching, then there's nothing wrong with it, right, Jeff? Okay. Uh, Backing up just a minute, guest 888 asked, "Do we have a command to use money in such a way as to take care of the building?" His reference to us talking about cleaning the building or mowing the grass. I think the authority for a church building is certainly the authority to maintain the building if you have it. That's another question. It's a bigger question, a question we have dealt with on the Virtual Bible Study, but we can do it again in the future. We don't have time to do it tonight. But the question of the authority for a church building is a legitimate question. Is there authority for a church building? I believe the answer to that is yes. We can go into the details about it. But if you've got authority for the church building, then you certainly have the authority to maintain the church building. Okay. That's, that's part. The, I mean, they, they they go hand in hand. Right. Okay. So, All right, right. real quickly, Sharon's question asked about elders. Uh, She says, uh, what about elders? Is there authority for elders to be assigned specific individual duties, for instance, the financial part or the visiting the sick part, or should all be involved equally?
1: Interesting uh, question, and I think that there's probably going to be some judgment here as well because I doubt there is an eldership anywhere in which each uh, member of that eldership is involved in everything equally. I mean, you're talking about...
2: I don't think there. I don't think it's even possible. Right. In other words, I know our elders. We've got just two, but I know when they meet because often I sit in on some of the meetings they have. One of them will say to the other, "Will you call so and so to check on that?"
1: Right. Or do do mean, you because know,
2: they both can't call the
1: same person right. at the same have time. You, have you talked, to sister so and so? Do you know what the condition is? Yeah.
2: yeah. So I, I think it's unavoidable, really. But maybe the, the question is, should
1: they? What about specific things? I mean,
2: they I mean, certainly need to be working closely as a team. But even on in any team effort, uh, different players are going to have different roles. Each are going to have uh, you know specific functions and, and different and talents and different talents. And but in the case of an eldership, in other words, if the eldership, if one of them is, for instance, in charge of financial things, in other words, he keeps the books, he writes the checks to pay the bills. That's okay. Obviously, the other elders would need to know how all that is. Being handled and keep up with that, but I mean, uh, that's not to say that they all have to write the same check, uh, put their same signature on all the same checks, or do all uh, work together to compile a financial statement or anything like that. I think it's unavoidable that they will, to some degree, have very varying responsibilities, but they're going to be working hand in hand and 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 keeping each other completely updated on all the the affairs of the church and the specific needs of the members. Remember that elders are especially spiritual shepherds. One of the things that concerns me about elders is that they get busy. They keep themselves preoccupied with the mundane material things, the church building, mowing the grass, cleaning the building, putting a roof on. Uh, I've known of elders who do so much of that that they don't ever do any spiritual overseeing. Their job is primarily to shepherd the flock, and they, and they should be doing that and leaving some of those other things to others who can do it. And Anthony
1: chimes in. He says, seems to, to me elders are all charged with shepherding the flock and watching for the souls of the flock. As long as they're all equally doing that, then perhaps there can be other specific duties, uh, this financial stuff, et cetera, but not sure. And I think they're, they're all going to be responsible for the, for the flock, and so they would need to be, they would need to share in that responsibility. As far as the duties, I think there would be some room for judgment on that.
2: Okay, real quickly, the last question that's in Sharon's list was what about women in decision making? She said, uh I know some preachers who teach that it isn't scriptural to have a business meeting where only the men are present and the women and that women should be, must be included in those business meetings. Anthony answers Matthew or Acts six verse five, the whole multitude chose the first deacons. Would that have included the women? Multitude in Acts fifteen fourteen included women. Not sure. Women also labored with Paul in the gospel. Definitely women must not usurp authority over men, 1 Timothy 2.12. So whatever they might do must not violate this teaching. I would also submit that women can have an influence in decision-making without doing so directly. It seems that if the husband and wife are both fulfilling the roles that God commanded them, the husband would do well to consider his wife's opinions and inputs on all, any and all matters. I'm convinced that God designed the marriage relationship perfectly and beautifully. The husband is the head, but a good one respects and loves his wife and considers her advice always. Interesting thought on that. Uh, I think the objection to women in a business meeting per se is that they are they expressing an equal voice with the men. Okay, we don't even know what kind of a business meeting is under consideration. Is this a are there elders? But the elders are just having a meeting to advise the church of the business of the church, or is this a decision making? meeting maybe a church that doesn't have elders and they are using a business meeting approach to make necessary decisions about how the congregation will go right i i have i i would have great reservation about the women being in a meeting that is a decision making type of meeting and that they have an equal voice with the men in regards to the decisions that are made that to me would seem to have them out of the place of subjection that they're commanded to be. In.
1: But, but, and, and I would agree with that. Uh, but you also have to be careful that making a decision does not equal usurping authority. Okay. Your wife makes decisions without your super your authority all, all the time, every day, all the time. My your wife decides what you're going to have for dinner. She's not usurping the authority. I mean, that, so you got to be careful about equating the two and, um, So can women make decisions in the
2: church? Can can women voice an opinion? Right. You know, is that usurping authority? Not necessarily. So I think it, but I understand the objection that brethren have, and I think it's, there's no reason for it. I think it can be handled like Anthony said. Let the men talk to their wives and and bring them up to date and include their, and get their feeling on various things that can be discussed in decision-making matters, but let the men make the decisions, let them have, make it. I think we shouldn't do anything to approach the line of questioning whether the women are in subjection to the men. The women are to be in subjection. Nor, to in. nor should we make it hard
1: for them to be in subjection. I think uh, in, a, in a business meeting format, it would be very difficult for certain women with personalities that might it might be hard for to, to, to maintain that. Uh, yeah, that I'm going
2: to say I'm going to say let's have and, if we got to have business meetings. And personally. I wish we didn't ever have to have business meetings. And if churches are organized the way God wants them to be with elders, we don't have to have. We don't have business meetings here. we got elders who take care of the affairs of the church. And it's
1: a blessing beyond measure.
2: Wow. It's unbelievable.
1: And women uh, don't uh, you count your blessings that you don't have to set in on a business
2: meeting. Oh, boy. Not, I hope, I, hope been, I never have to go to another I business don't know meeting. that I've ever been in one that I was glad I was in. I hope I never have to be in another one. I'll tell you that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we had a good discussion tonight. Thanks, Jacob. It was good. I think a lot of important questions there we covered. We did. A lot of good questions and uh, good participation
1: from our audience. We're glad for that. And uh, we hope that uh, the study was beneficial. Jeff, thanks for being behind the board tonight. Good job. And, uh, Dad, uh, we need to remind our listeners one more time next Monday. Monday and Tuesday, Tuesday,
2: the 18th and 19th, 7 o'clock, Woodland Park, Columbia, Tennessee, Bible Studies in the Park. Scott Scott Smelser from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. will be talking about various principles from the Bible about child rearing parenting it should be very uh, enjoyable if you're within a driving distance of us in columbia tennessee come to woodland park if you can't find it on a, on a map call us we'll get you there seven o'clock monday and Tuesday.
1: if you're not within driving distance it'd be worth an airplane ticket i think it's going to be a good series i think of it will be all right we'll look forward to seeing you there if you're able to make it and we'll look forward to you being here this time next week for another edition of the virtual bible study in the meantime we encourage you to put god first in your life study His inspired word the bible and live by it every day You'll never regret it.